Welcome to Penny Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable tour performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. Before we get stuck into this episode, if you could do a couple of things for me, that would be absolutely fantastic. So if you enjoy these episodes, please do leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the second thing, if you head over to www.pettygolf.com, there's loads of clatter up there. There'll be new information up there about the Petty Talks Golf Day coming soon. And I'm working on some merchandise, t-shirts, grab bags, tees, hats, that type of thing. So be sure to join the timesheet at www.pettygolf.com. And now the bit you've all been waiting for. Who's on this week's episode? Well, you probably know because you clicked it in the title. It's professional Irish golfer Paul McBride. But first, roll it there, Roisin. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what do you think of that? Donald Donovan is the last quarterback. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. Welcome to Paddy Talks. On this week's show, we have professional golf out of the island, Paul McBride. What's the crack, Paul? How are you? Good, thanks, Paddy. Thanks for having me on. I know fear at all. I'm working on getting nearly every member of the island on eventually, between yourself, Gavin, Andy Carter, I think, frequented the island once upon a time. He sure did. Uh, Paul O'Connor. Let's see what can we get up there. Check out the new, the new front line. Is that what's going in there? Yeah, we got a new... Uh, from six to nine, we've new, or from four to nine, we have new holes, or even three to nine, I suppose. So, good few new holes. By all accounts, it looks pretty sweet. And um, considering it part part hosted the amateur last year, and um, just hard to imagine it looking even better. But by all accounts, it seems to. Yeah, I think it will be tougher now. I think the fr- the front line was a bit. It was good, but it was fiddly enough. You kind of irons off tees sort of job, but now it's going to be proper hitting, I think. So, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, everyone's in isolation. What have you been doing? Uh, been doing. I've set up a net out in my back garden, and I've been hitting balls in that a good bit, and trying to stay fit, doing a good bit of running, walking, then um, good bit of fitness work too. Just kind of. I don't have much equipment, but just body weight stuff, and you can kind of work a sweat up off that. So it's a time to work on something that you probably don't get to work on much during the season. You know, you do your fitness work, but not it's not your main focus where it kind of is now because you've nothing else to do. And um, you're not like um, you're not like Paddy Harrington has a full like par three shot game area up the back of the house, still manages to break the odd window. No, I, I think you'll need a. I think you need a few majors for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but getting into golf, Dan, what would be your earliest golfing memory, Paul? Uh, earliest golfing memory. I remember I remember playing from when I was really young, when my granddad's from Kilkenny, and he had a nice front garden and back garden that I'd kind of mess around out there. And that's kind of my first memory. I had a really cut down tiny little six iron cut down to I don't even know I still have it but it's tiny that's kind of the first thing I remember I I was so sporty growing up I loved playing sports I it was what I lived for so that's kind of the first thing I remember absolutely you know something I actually learned when I was I actually do prepare for these chats sometimes and <laughs> um, 
Well, you were massive to hurling and have a, a minor hurling championship. Is that, that is that, that club or? No, that is, I've seen. I've read that before, and that's that's not true. I've seen. I've read that I've played for Dublin. Yeah, played minor hurling for Dublin, but I, I don't. I never played minor hurling for Dublin. I probably played for Dublin up until I was about under sixteen or seventeen, and then called it a day. But I never played minor. I won a Leinster Colleges medal with Dublin North, but that is that's I've played for Dublin, but I never played minor for Dublin. That's fake news. But <laughs> um, but it was like it would have been up there in terms of the sports competing with golf. Then. Yeah, I would have. I'd say hurling was probably the main thing. That hurling and football. I was decent enough at football, but I was good at hurling, and uh, it was the main thing that I focused on from from when I was probably ten to. 16 maybe i i probably i think i missed a few irish coaching sessions or any parts of irish coaching sessions to play championship hurling or football for the club so hurling and football were kind of my main focuses so between 10 and 16 um what would the handicap would have been around the latter stages of that around 15 or 16 would you could have been around scratch or there or about i uh, probably better than scratch i think i got the scratch when i was 15 and maybe like well I went to America and my handicap never changed because they don't they never cared about it over there I think I went to America off plus four when I was 18 so I was probably off like plus two when I was 15 16 17 right so if golf wasn't say the third sport behind real <laughs> football right um, did it just come more naturally to you or did you even go to school or like where did you fit in the time to get to that level at such a young age uh, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely went to school, but my my mom and dad are both teachers, so they made me go to school. But same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, home economics and technical graphics. When they both retired now. Yeah, years? my dad's physics and maths, and my mom's music and geography. So okay. quite an array of things there. Creative and quite analytical background there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know to be honest about golf. How. I think there's too much focus on on starting really young and making it your only sport and all that sort of stuff. Like when you're 15, 14, 15, that, your career is not going to be defined by what you are when you're 14, 15. There's loads of examples of great players who only started when they were that age. Like Ernie Els is a good example. I think he started playing golf when he was 14. So there's loads of room when you're young to play hurling football, soccer golf like it's I, I, I'm not a big fan of the whole kind of one sport job you know no, no, that's why I asked the question because um, like you said some of the greats of the game have played multiple sports and it's from playing multiple sports that gives you increased range of motion and we'll say the, the fast twitch fibers that you need to create power so you can't get anything better than a 10-yard sprint to try and get in front of a full-back to get, a, you know, to get slitter out of his hand. Yeah. Um, and that's why I asked the question, is because rather than focus on one main sport, you might be better off, especially if you are, you know, in your teenage years now and you're thinking, oh, I'm good at golf, I'm going to pack everything else in. Like the fitness or the awareness that you get from playing other sports is totally applicable to golf. You know yeah, I mean? 100%. And it's not just... I don't think it's just the physical either. It's the mental as well. Golf's a lonely, lonely game sometimes. And to be in a team environment and win in a team environment and lose in a team environment and have like a physical competitiveness 
it, it everything helps you know it's i i'm a big fan of young lads playing loads of sport i think it's the i think it's the way to go absolutely it was a Paul mcginley played football up in his late teens um, yeah. and yeah laurie played lots of gaa and ernie else played tennis in his mid-teens i think it was his dad then blew up the tennis court to put in a short game or put in a greener. That might have been the same way because but like, yeah, it's up there. Everybody. Yeah, like I, I played minor up until I played up until minor for the club. Like it was up until literally the, almost the day I went to college in the states. I was still playing Erlon football, which in a way it was stupid. There was times your hands would be a bit, a bit yes. sketchy, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, really, how did that move to the States come about? It was Wake Forest, which is famous for a certain Mr. Mr. Palmer. Mm. Um, I think all of the... Which family have like all of them gone through? There's like multiple generations. All the houses, yeah. All the houses, yeah. Like, yeah, John, like all of them. Yeah. Um, so how did that come about? Were there multiple universities that were kind of looking at you? Or were you looking at other universities? Like Olivia went to the States for the sun. <laughs> well, she says that. Yeah, there's way more reasons she went to the states. Um, but like, how did it come about for yourself? I kind of I wanted to go and I wanted to do something different. And you'd heard good stuff. I'd heard people who had had good experience, and then I've known people who've had bad experience. So it was just something that I wanted to try anyway. And the way you go about it as an international, it's kind of a bit weird. You know, the coaches would come to certain events and you almost have to make the contact in ways like I emailed a lot of coaches, got some feedback, kind of got a few were interested. There was a good few interested. Wake Forest came over to watch me in the Irish boys up in Lisburn. Lisburn was it? Yeah, where Robin won. And then I went to visit that November and I just kind of, just I visited Wake Forest and Auburn where Julie McCarthy is and I just I just liked Wake Forest a little bit more, but it's there's so many options in America. Like it's people think that yeah you can only go to good schools, but there's actually so many really 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 good schools. You know, oh you could do multi, you could do multiple podcast episodes on the the tiers and the levels of different universities and the golf programs and all that. Yeah, someday I will do. When I, <laughs> when, I, when I run out of loads of content, I'll definitely cover that. That should be your last resort. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're here for Irish golf and Irish amateur golf and companies and all that lovely job, jubbly stuff. But like Wake Forest is one of the top colleges, isn't it? It's a NCAA. Yeah, I mean, Wake Forest historically is, there's probably the two, I would say historically Oklahoma State and Wake Forest are probably the two with the great the best histories, the most players came out of it, the most NCAA titles, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think when you look at the players that Wake Forest had, we starting back with Arnold Palmer, but we've had Lanny Watkins, Billy Andrade, Darren Clark went there for a little bit, um, Jay Haas, Bill Haas, yeah. Webb Simpson, yeah. yeah, so like, you could name, Curtis Strange, you could name off names for, for ages, you know, and, that was an attraction, yeah, but it was the place. It was way far as Mark's there now, obviously, but it's a it's a small, it's a small enough school, it's a private school, and it's an enclosed campus. It's kind of like a, a huge housing estate, I suppose. And there's something sat well with me when I went there. The coaches, Jerry Haas and Dan Walters, 
they I suppose they were probably the ones that I was kind of warm to a lot you know you can go to America and there can be these military men as coaches but these two Jerry's played on tour Dan was a very good college golfer and I knew they weren't going to mess me up or you know they had they were personable they were they were actually they're good crack like which is so important because you're with your coaches literally every single day you know you go to practice they're always there it's their job so that was probably one of the main things that moved me towards going to wake forest so it was how personal they were so how, how i suppose how much time did you have to strike with that rapport before making the decision had you met them a couple of times or were you over there for you said to visit in, in that november were you there for a few days or a week or so or was it just a day trip you can only do two days it's illegal after that so i did two days over there 48 hours and it's illegal in the sense of NCAA rules. I mean, the NCAA okay. rules are mental, but... I thought it was like a Trump visa situation. <laughs> no, he wasn't in at that stage. Okay, fair enough. I feel old now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I visited. There's just a... There's a great sense around the place. There's... there's. It's hard to explain, but it's... when you know when you go somewhere and you're just like, yeah, I love this place. This is where I, I want to be, and... It was it was yeah. a great decision. I couldn't have made a better decision, to be honest. So when you got there, what was the kind of schedule like? The setup. Um, the practice facility is incredible. It really is. It's it's a very very good facility. And my first year, I remember I went, and you're literally living a hundred yards from where the practice facility is. And in my second year, we just built a huge new building for team for the two teams, men's and women's, with like pool tables, table tennis tables, hundred inch TVs, locker rooms. It was just the money pumped into golf. It's scary over there, and it was it was mad. To be honest, it was eye opening. You know, the stuff that we got to do over them four years is stuff that if you did it in a lifetime, you'd be happy. You know. Do you mean in experiences in, in the sort of facility you had or in the opportunities you were given to, I suppose, travel and play golf? Was it in that sense? Or? Yeah, I mean, the competitions, yeah. We played great schedule and all, but the people that you met, you, the amount of people I met over the years that are, well, very well-recognized people and people who are really willing to sport golf and just some of the, like the you meet people that like uh, Seth Waugh now the uh, chief executive of PJ of America I was re- his son was on our team he's really good friends with his son still am and he'd bring you he is, he was CEO of Deutsche Bank but he'd bring loads of the players to different places you know we were up in his house in the Hamptons for a weekend he brought me to loads of different spots been down to his house in Florida for Thanksgiving break a good few times and it was just small stuff like that that you well not small stuff but stuff that you'd never imagined doing a year previous you're kind of almost taken for granted when you were there absolutely so you did you come back to Ireland then during the summers to play in the majors here and stuff and play like the amateur circuit here on the European side of things yeah yeah I, I always missed the Irish amateur which was really annoying to be honest but I came back Every summer played, yeah, full schedule. Once so I got home. Rate, <laughs> how would you rate her rank kind of 
like the north and the south and the close and the Irish amateur versus kind of that collegiate circuit. Can you rank them or rate them? How do yeah, you, how you can. Do you? I think you can. I think the. I think. I, I. Like the the really good college events in America are stronger than an Irish amateur, or they're probably stronger than most amateur events. You know, because the best players in America are in college in America. So if you're playing the best events in college, you're playing against the best players. And they, they, I don't know if the top is much different, as in like the best players. But the further you go down, the just the the depth in America is way greater than in, I would say, UK and Ireland or Europe even. I suppose that that came to fruition for the the Yanks, I suppose, in 2017 Walker Cup when they were stacked with heavyweights. Uh, you were on that team. That was in. That's not coming to me now. Was it New York? In LA, 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 LACC. Yeah. Um, I knew it was something fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Maverick McNeely, Colin Morikawa, who's like done great things in the tournament pro now, but you'd five of the top six the world amateurs on that team. But yeah. What was your adventure of the, of the Walking Cup for you? Like being selected in the first place and the actual trip itself? Ah, yeah, I was, I was delighted to be selected. Like I remember vividly when I was selected. I was the only Irish selected that year, but it was at home internationals in Moortown. And we were going out to play England in the singles the last day. It was just coming off foursomes. And I was kind of in the, in the changing room, just putting on my shoes or stretching or something. And uh, Craig came over to me and was like, um, can I have a word with you? I was like, yeah, no problem. He was the captain at the time. I was like, yeah, no problem. Went outside and he said, good news. You're... Um, you're on the team and I was it was a weird one because I had to go out and play Matt Jordan and we were playing for home internationals like it was Ireland versus England for the home so you kind of were elated and then and he had also got the call so we were both kind of elated but then had to get back down to business I suppose <laughs> and the start of that match oh my god it was some of the worst golf I've ever seen like say three the first three holes that three the two of us were just kind of didn't really couldn't really like we were delighted to make walker cup but couldn't really get down and focus and then we kind of focused then after that and got back into a good good rhythm so that was uh home international was in moortown near leeds yeah and that was your third year playing it in a row and you were ireland were going for the for the four peat for the fourth year that year is that right yeah we were going for four in a row um yeah, that was that was a great one. That was probably my favourite one. We had a close one in Narn the year before, but that one in Moortown was oh, it was brilliant. It was there's something nice about it beating England on the on the last day to win home internationals. It's it's a good feeling, I can tell you. So, like being an amateur golfer and, and like having an interest in it for years and years and years, but I haven't really like dug into it the last 18 months to two years. There's kind of two things I see that amateurs, well, like that anybody wants to their CV and you've done both of them one of the multiple times been Walker Cup and home internationals. So do you see those kind of team selections as a, not necessarily a requirement, but like as kind of a badge of honor in your kind of journey or route to becoming a professional? Yeah, they definitely are. You know, Walker Cup's great. There hasn't been too many Walker Cupers from Ireland. I mean, there's been a good few, but 
it's not every everyone gets on it. Home to nationals is great because you're playing for your country and it, it's the one that probably hits close to home. You know, it's you're playing with your friends, you're playing with your close friends. In Walker Cup, I was playing with lads who, yeah, they're my friends, but. I hadn't had the rapport with them that I had with the boys that from Ireland, you know, we had been on them home international teams was, was really great. And probably the things that you look back on and say, yeah, I miss them weeks. Like you miss Walker cup, but Walker cup is really a one-off or a two-off experience. Whereas home internationals is something that players play a lot of years in. And it's, there's just something about it. It's a really grueling week. It's 36 holes of golf every day it's it's tough like but at the end of it when you win it's that there's it's an unbelievable feeling in the team room to be honest so when you say you've struggled with rapport and you're all best mates like how much what's it like playing for Ireland like in terms of the involvement you have because you get great support from Sport Ireland and the GOI and great trips to South Africa in the end of the year and multiple trips abroad to, to represent Ireland is there much like what's the schedule like and then for anyone who's like on the cusp of, of selection or, or in terms of setting an expectation for, I suppose, the standard that you need to be at. Yeah, I think there's levels to Irish teams. You know, there's home internationals is the 11-man team. Then you got the six-man team, which is Europeans. And then you have three-man team which is world amateur team championships so there's kind of three different steps to it and probably three different standards it does go up in standard home internationals there's more or just better players i would say at europeans and world am than there is at home international so it's kind of a there's kind of levels there to go up that you know you play home internationals one year then you maybe try play get on the europeans team the next and world am team the year after or whatever there's kind of there is levels to the standard it's i think home international standard is it's strong but if you're consistent you'll be on the home international team if you can make the cut in the four events in ireland and get to maybe a couple of semi-finals or quarterfinals and kind of show that you're consistent you'll get picked on the home internationals more than likely Oh, good. I, did, I didn't know like the what the selection criteria could be. So like if you're if you're contending, you could say, um, over the period of, of time, maybe a year or, or, or eighteen months or two years, you can be putting your hand up. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Selectors will notice you. You know, it's it's about kind of the hardest thing is to get noticed, and then when you're noticed, you're always on the radar. That's the way I saw it. And is that where Hamburg Sports would have would have seen you as well in terms of you're putting your hand up, not to them, would say, but in the golfing world and, and getting to the quarterfinals of the amateur championship and being on a Walker Cup team and coming through Wake Forest. Was there anybody else aside from Hamburg Sports or you turned pro in, it's two years ago now, would you believe? And yeah. were, they always in, were they always like in touch with you or how early did they reach out? or? Um. Hamburg might have been one of the last to reach out, maybe. Yeah, probably one of Gary Max. Actually, maybe not, actually. I played with Rory. Yeah, there's a few management companies around. Gary McDermott got, in, got me in touch with Hamburg. He sent me a message one day saying Rory Flanagan, his friend, would want to have a chat with me. So I went and had a chat with Rory and Case. And 
again, it was one of them things. It was kind of a bit like Wake Forest, where I felt the personal, like, kind of just felt like the right place for me to go. It was Hambrick, and there was a few others, but Hambrick just felt like it just fitted what I wanted, and the Kate and Rory are great. They're, they're good at their jobs, and they're good fun too. So it's kind of being able to have that balance of, yeah, managing me and being serious, but also having personality and having having something to having people to chat to. I suppose is an important thing in that business. No, definitely. So, something I'm trying to do on on this little podcast of mine is like just I suppose maybe educate people who watch golf all the time and kind of wonder why this logo is on that. Like my father and I, have, I've, I've mentioned him a few times, but like he might look at I think Kevin now. Uh, has, has barely an inch left in his polo tops and the amount of sponsors he has. But, like, it is they're there because they're basically supporting your year, and when you're successful, they'll get airtime for their logo, etc. You know, like... Yeah, they take a risk, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, like, in terms of trying to manage all that yourself, because I think Ronan, Ronan Mullarney is his dad involved, and um, he's taking care of that for him. So, like, what, how are Hambrick helping you? Like, what... I suppose, is it administrative stuff? Is it sponsorships they're trying to line up? Um, what are they trying to take care of you, care of for you so that you're just left to focus on, on the golf really? They pretty much do everything off the golf course, to be honest. They're quite rotten, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose it's like, yeah, they do do everything, you know. They book flights for you, they'll, no, you obviously pay, but they book flights, they'll book hotels, they'll, I think it's important. They they have experience from previous years of certain places where to stay, where not to stay. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to get to this place and that place? So that helps. But yeah, it's pretty much they make your job fairly easy. You just do all the on course stuff. They they take care of all the off course thing. Oh, very good. So like, it's just it's interesting for me like how that whole dynamic works. Like some people have a management company, some don't, and. Um, so like when the sponsorship money comes in and hopefully it does come in do they mind the pot or do you mind the pot like how does that dynamic work <laughs> I, I mind it <laughs> but man <laughs> uh, yeah. keep, you, keep you out of Vegas yeah, yeah they they keep um, they pr- they do most of the negotiation work and um, yeah I sw- it's not like I think people have a sense of professional golfers you know I think some people think your manager, your management company, pay for your f- flights 100%. and stuff, 100%, which is, yeah. isn't yeah, true. And then like, when does the jet arrive? I'm off to Barbados. Yeah, weeks practice. Like that's not how it works. No, they they don't. Like you, it, it comes out of your comes out of your, out of your bank account, but they get you the money for that bank account. So, no, no, exactly. Exactly. So who are the sponsors this year? Who, who's kind of funding your year, funding the dream to be a professional golfer? Uh, well, Titleist and Footjoy. Um, I have Strandham, which is a member of the island, Brendan Kearney, his company. He's been brilliant for me. He's he's uh, He's been absolutely fantastic since I turned pro, and he's been very helpful to being able to play golf and then i actually have a new company on board this year of expert pensions which you might hear their ads on the radio a bit and um toyota ireland as well they're toyota i'm a brand ambassador for toyota so they're the they're the four main ones 
No, very good. Like, to give an idea, like, for anybody listening, how much do you spend on, like, for anybody listening, I'm saying, like, how much do they spend on, let's say, probably ones every year? And then try and calculate how many probably ones a professional golfer would go through when they're playing every day. I suppose yeah. that's, where, that's where a titleist come in, in as being a sponsor and that they're taking away that cost, yeah? Yeah, they hit. That's the thing that we, you just run through golf balls for fun, not because you're losing them, but because if you get if there's any scuffs or anything, it's a oh, change ball. You know, you could, yeah, Titleist are great for that. Thank God you have that support because I I forgot how expensive golf balls were. To be honest, I was in a shop just before the lockdown. And I couldn't believe how expensive they had gotten. So it's just great to be able to have. Um, Actually, it was wedges. I was surprised with how expensive they had got. Not golf balls, but it was, it's great to have support like that and not have to worry about that. Absolutely. Like wedges are creeping up to the, the 200 euro mark. Can I saw it? that. Crazy. It's bonkers. Focus. Milled is milled, you know? <laughs> bit of spin. <laughs> bit of spin. Anything for a bit of spin. 100%. Is it true that I was game on the podcast, Noel Fox, when he was on tour, like didn't clean after hitting a bunker shot, wouldn't clean the wedge because he'd, he'd reckon he'd get extra spin on the next pitch shot because there was a bit of sand in the grooves. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, no, I've heard that loads of times. I don't know if Noel in particular, but yeah, it's. I've heard, if you ever try it, like you do get way more spin. <laughs> if you do put uh, sand on your face, just even mess, <laughs> messing on the chipping green, if you put sand on your face and then go out and hit a normal shot, it spins way more. Fric- more friction, I think, would probably yeah. be the easiest example or the explanation, sorry. Absolutely. So, are you still being coached by Neil? Yeah, Neil's still my coach. Yeah, Neil's been my coach for well, since I've been in Irish. I've been in Irish squad since I was about thirteen, maybe. Okay. And I've always gone. To, yeah. yeah, I've always gone to Neil. He's great to have around. You know, he's a very good coach, very highly regarded. So. He's got a good stable going now, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really. I know he coaches Shane. I don't know really after that, to be honest. But um, he's had, he's had a few, I suppose, of the uh, they've all been under him at some stage in Ireland, you know, so like Gary Hart, yeah, and lads, but, um, oh yeah, Gary, said, yeah, yeah. You said previously that like ninety percent of your your work with Neil is on mental stuff. It's like, is that still the case? Because I think that was like yeah, last year. Yeah, I think I would say a lot of our stuff is mental. Golf's probably 90% mental when you get to our standard. So, um, yeah, most of our stuff is mental. If I'm not swinging great, he'll say something to me that looks different to what I normally do or whatever. But a lot of the work is mental and competitive, trying to get, trying to emulate competitiveness, competitive situations in practice. Okay. So, like, uh, the next question was, like, what does that type of work involve? So, is it like, making practice drills highly competitive for yourself yeah for me that's the main thing if i emulating yeah i would say competitive practice drills and also working on commitment and process and stuff like that rather than actual like p1 p2 p3 p4 of your golf swing oh believe me i'm not a i'm not a p1 to four guy absolutely not um, You're not, no. I, no, I'm coming from the Keelan Max school of golf, you know. Just, All right. You know, just swing the belly at it and, <laughs> and find it. Um, <laughs> and then do it again. But, like, 
can you describe so if you're going up to the chipping green how how you'd make because like for me to, like the only chipping drill I have is parity team right hmm. so like how would you make that kind of more mentally competitive for yourself uh, well yeah a consequence I suppose always have consequence to your practice whether it's it has to be something you don't like to do I would say or burpees okay or yeah or money or something but you have to be disciplined with that then you know I'd play games with Neil of chipping where I might have five chips and if my average or if I don't for those five chips if my average isn't x y or z I have to do something or something like that you know it has to be there has to be consequence it can't be can't go and play par 18 shoot nine over and then play par 18 again shoot level par and say oh that's better there has to be some sort of competitiveness to what you do i think 100 so getting into i suppose life as a professional golfer and um, missed out on stage one european tour school last year so did your plans change based on that result or um well yeah your plans always change after missing first stage I think but no I'm, I'm asking the question in terms of like other people I've spoken to like like Rowan or would use like a, a, a tour qualification school as kind of a, a standard setting for where you're at so yeah I think yeah maybe it's a standard setting for where you're at but it's also only four rounds of golf you know it's yeah, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of good players that have probably struggled at Q school just because of time. And, and there's been a lot of mediocre players who have got their cards maybe from just playing good at the right time. You know, it's Absolutely. if Q school probably came a month or two earlier for me, probably if, if Q school was in August, I would have been, I was playing quite well. So I probably would have fancied it then. And I, I'm not saying I didn't fancy it in October, but I wasn't playing as well and yeah. just I didn't really play that bad to be honest it's just you just make a few bogeys and you're not making loads of birdies and it's just a bit of a gruel and grind especially in Frailford Heath which is a tough enough golf course and by all accounts like um, tour school is an absolute grueling affair like we said mentally more than anything in terms of stuff on the line and repercussions and all that kind of jazz but like of all the Irish guys on tour, I had your good self here, Mark, for like for this year as like a career making year, if you will, and um, just based off like your really strong start in the Mina tour, the start of the year, and that you were really on an upturn of form. Like, is that how you felt as well, or was I tuning in to the wrong social media? No, yeah, I felt that too. But there's there's very rarely a time that I feel like I'm playing bad. You know, it's not. Yeah. 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 I felt like stuff that I'd worked on was starting to kind of filter through into my competitive game in terms of mental approach and stuff. I thought I was getting better at it and it was improving. And I had been hitting the ball quite well. I'm usually good off the tee. Everyone was just starting to, yeah, I was starting to play pretty good, starting to string a few scores together. For me, not making bogeys is important. I think I make too many bogeys, so my bogey average was fairly low for all them events in the Mina, which was encouraging, but ah, 
times have changed. It's all stopped up now. So <laughs> it's all, we're all being twisted by the bricks around us. Yeah, as Tommy Taylor would say. But like when things hopefully do get back to normal, and it might be a period of months, if not weeks. Um, what status do you have at the moment? Category seventeen on the challenge door, which is very low. It's not a great category. I would have said at the start of the year when I saw the schedule come out that I'd probably get maybe three or four events on my category and then invites after that. So now it's changed. You just don't know, really. I don't know what's going to happen now this year, but we'll see. Absolutely. Um, So how important or how easy it is to come by in terms of invites to certain events? Are you dependent on sponsors? Are you dependent on other people not showing up? Or how uh, that's Team Ireland. Team Ireland do get us invites. They have an allotment of invites at the start of the year and they distribute them out among their players. And then Hambrick get me ones as well from a management side of things. So, yeah, it's playing on invites. It's, so, it's great to be able to get invites, but it's not really where you want to be, you know? 100%. For you, so being based in Dublin, um, how important is it for you to have, I suppose, the right facilities available, you know, instead of like basing yourself somewhere like Portugal or somewhere, you know, because you're effectively playing a European tour in the Challenge Tour, you know. So how, how important is it for you to A, base yourself here at home and B, access to facilities here locally when we are allowed? Venture? Yeah, it's, it's very important. It's, um, obviously, I have the island there, which is a really good, tough golf course um our range is all right it's it's not bad it's not great um we've lost our pitching green now because of the redesign so i'll probably do most of my playing in the island but if i'm practicing stuff i'll practice in carton in the gy academy i was there just before the lockdown and the greens were incredible so hopefully i'm sure they'll be as good when when we get back to it I played it the day before. Was it? Yeah, the day before lockdown. Um, I, I played Carton House and the greens were incredible. I think it was the day after you all played, actually. You played the, yeah, it would have probably been. The, the Penny Pro Tour or whatever. Yeah, so, hopefully that can get back up and running. <laughs> so how important is it for something like that to be there? That you're playing, like you said there, in a competitive environment with the likes of Gavin, Conor O'Rourke, Robin, etc. to kind of keep each other in fine title? Yeah, it's important. It's important to have competition. I think there's different players need different things, but for me, I need competition. And as much, uh, uh, the more I can put myself under pressure and the more I can emulate tournament conditions, the better I'll get, you know. Well, we've had some great games over the over the year or so, two years maybe as being a pro with Gav, Robin, Cormac, and then now all the Paddy Pro Tour lads, Connor O'Rourke and Johnny Yates and a few of them like we've had really good games, which is what you want. Absolutely. So this is a question I was actually asked to ask someone else in a previous podcast and did so, but it's the one I've held on to. So what was the hardest shot you've ever had to hit under pressure and why? Oh. The hardest shot I've ever had to hit under pressure. I don't know it's probably between two shots it was world amateur team championships in Mexico uh, I was last group and 
a birdie would have got us a bronze medal on our own. And I had like hit it to like four or five feet and I missed it. But we ended up getting a bronze medal. It was just tied. But I suppose the most nervous I've been on a, probably the shot was first hole in LA for the Walker Cup. I was, I was grand on the putting green and then there was no like walkway to get to the first tee. You were just walking through crowds and there was a lot of people there. And I got out onto the first tee and it was like a, the whole fairway was just lined. And I was playing foursomes with Connor Simon. It was it was my tee shot. And I was kind of grand all the way up until till I went to tee my ball up. And I remember trying to put my ball on the tee and looking at my hand and my hand was just shaking. I was like, God, I've never had that before. And the ball fell off the tee on the first try, but I got it got it on on the second try. So, But that was probably the most pressure I felt. Where did the tee shot end up? Oh, miles right. It was, it was, was, that, was it a fairway over? Was it wide enough to be all right? It, it, was, it, it was kind of the first tee shot there was really fairly easy. You just couldn't hit it left. <laughs> so that was probably in the back of my head and I got nice up under one big high I was hit really good too just big high block about 30 yards right <laughs> that's, that's fair game for any of us really have you, have you any particular I suppose memorable story and it could be from Wake Forest or it could be from Homer to Nationals or essentially tour tale for us Um, I don't know I suppose the one out on tour, the one out on tour I've had probably, oh, I'll never forget it. I was playing, I got a late invite to Czech Masters on the Monday of Czech Masters. So I flew out on the Monday evening and I didn't have a caddy. So I got uh, Kate to organize, Kate White to organize a, a local caddy, which is usually grand, you know, going to a European tour event, local caddy. And I got there because I was so late, all the kind of usual local caddies were gone. And I got this guy from Bulgaria. I forget his name now. But Keelings. <laughs> yeah, something like We're that. Keeling for now. But I was playing a practice round with Gav that Tuesday morning. And this guy was like, Hi, I'm your caddy or whatever. And I was like, All right. He kind of seemed a bit kind of shy and clueless. And he picked up the bag. And the moment he picked up the bag, I was like, oh, this is just not going to be good. You know when someone picks up the bag and you're like, this fella's never been on a golf course before? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, oh, it's all right. I'll give him a chance. So I went to the range, hit a few balls, hit a few chips, hit a few putts, then went out and played a practice round with Gav. And he, this guy was standing in the worst positions I've ever seen anyone stand on a golf course like if I was hitting he was like behind me in my eye line oh it was it was he had never been on a course before I don't think to be honest and it was getting it was really getting to me because it really frustrates me that sort of thing and on the 15th maybe I was I hit a drive and Gav was just me and Gav were kind of level with each other he was just writing me on the fairway and I had told the guy to stand on my right-hand side all the time because he just kept wandering around. I was like, just stand on my right-hand side. So he stood on the right-hand side, but 
Gav was trying to hit and he was standing right in his way. Like, couldn't have been more in his way. And I was like, God, this is getting really frustrating. Then I got him, I hit it in a bunker. I wanted to hit a few bunker shots and I was like, I'll see if he can rake a bunker. And I've never seen a worse rake job, but oh, I, had to, I had to tell him I didn't need him after that. It was really getting on me. Even now talking about it, it's getting, it's getting on my nerves. <laughs> you're, just fuming. Everything. you're fuming thinking about it. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it was the weirdest situation, but... I, in the end, I actually got a really good caddy for that week in the end, but that's probably the only thing is this guy, I've, he was so clueless. Oh, my God. When I think oh, about it now. I've seen a few of them. Come here, we will get stuck in this quick fire Q&A because I don't want to hold you back from all that backyard golf practice you need to do. <laughs> Perfect. So, Paul McBride, what was your walk on Sam B? Oh, it's, it's a tough one for me because I'm not really that big into music. I'm more into like Luke Kelly and Christy Moore. That's sort of music. music. <laughs> I know, but it's not really walk on music. I I've been it's listening to. Good at least in Varna now. <laughs> well, you're a Claire man, aren't you? So I could do that, but <laughs> um, I I've been listening to Jerry Cinnamon a little bit. So I said I'd pick him sometimes with Jerry Cinnamon. Jim or pizza? Uh, pizza. Hat visor or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat? Oh, half. Happy Gilmore or Tink Cup? Happy Gilmore. Guinness or Heineken? Guinness. The Hinch or Port Marnock? Port Marnock, sorry, buddy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Walk or Cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? Uh, the Open. Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time or never miss a 10 foot putt? Never miss a 10 foot putt. Instagram or Twitter? Uh, Twitter. Play or practice? Play. Thanks, me and Paul. Great chat. Some great stories. Uh, let's avoid those Bulgarian caddies. <laughs> uh, we'll see in the island when we're all in lockdown. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for having me. That was Paul McBride. If you did enjoy the chat, I did. Uh, please do leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Share the show with your family and friends. Do check out paddygolf.com. Sign up to the timesheet. Let me know what you'd like to see there. Let me know who you'd like to see or hear on the podcast. So tag your golf mates. Tag those golf professionals out there or people you think are just kind of cool. And we'll see if we can get them on the show. Please do share the show with your family and friends. Until we tee up again soon, I'm Paddy.